Regardless of what we technically call it, I think most of us can agree that all signs are pointing to an economy that is getting tighter, which means your small business clients will need your assistance in evaluating the spending of every dollar. How would you like to be the hero to your clients by helping them to get free payroll until January 31st, 2023? I repeat, free payroll until January 31st, 2023. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, OnPay, later in the episode. Sam said, so what you're saying is we all need to become fact checkers. I think that's another way to put it. BS detectors, fact checkers. We already should anyway, right? But that's going to become a really valuable skill. Maybe they'll teach a class on that. Uh, With all the disinformation out there in the world right now, I think it's really important, right? How do you know when you read something online, like a Facebook post, how do you know that that's true? How do you go research it yourself? I I think this is why disinformation is such a problem is because people don't. They don't know how to look at something and decide, is this real or is this fake? Coming to you weekly from the OnPay Recording Studio, this is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. All right, David. So the plan is uh, we just decided on the fly. We had talked so much about the future of the accounting profession that we didn't get to our predictions. So now we're going to do our predictions episode. And then I get to take off a week, which I haven't done in four years of this podcast. (laughs) Until some news breaks tomorrow. They get rid of the 150 rule and we have to record. When the 150 hour requirement ends nationally, uh, we can retire our podcast. How about that? (laughs) That'll be the end. Mm-hmm. So before we jump into like prediction-y things, we can kind of review a little bit. I think one of the, your big predictions in general was crypto was a scam. We called I, it. I, we called it at, in January of 2022. We had an episode called Crypto is a Scam. And it turns out, I don't know if you saw the two other partners, Ellison and Wang, who were part of the FTX trio, I think- um, Oh, the, uh, Ellison, uh, she she ran the, the yep. Alameda thing, and then Wang might uh, I think it was his engineer. So they've they've pled guilty, and they're kind of turning state's witness. I think is a familiar term. People yeah. understand if I say what that means. Mm-hmm. Wang literally wrote code to make exceptions for Alameda. They had code, so no no customers could ever have a negative balance. So in theory, it's like a bank account. You can't have a negative bank balance in your bank account. They wrote code to make exceptions. <laughs> To allow Alameda, who is basically like a customer of FTX, to have negative bank account balances. And then they kind of did the same thing for a line of credit. So nobody else has lines of credits that was limitless. And they wrote special code just so Alameda could do it. So they purposely had to write exceptions to their code to enable this fraudulent behavior. So you're so saying it wasn't, it wasn't it, like this was an accident. They, right. you know, oh, they had bad bookkeeping. They didn't know. They they knew so much that they wrote code specifically to make exceptions for what they were doing. I want to make sure I understand what you're saying. So, yeah. Alameda is the related entity that SBF owned that was doing risky trading, the trading firm that was supposed to be separate from the crypto exchange. And so, and, and Al- Alameda was the one he used as his personal bank account, basically. Okay, so it's basically yeah. him, his him personally, right? So and and his friends. Leaders. Yeah. Okay, so Alameda had an account on FTX, and you're saying they programmed FTX, the exchange, so that Alameda could have a negative balance, which is effectively a loan from everyone else on FTX. Yes. Right. And then they also turned off, so apparently there's a, they liquidate you if you fall below a certain reserve threshold of some type. They had an an auto liquidation trigger that happened to all the accounts that were for people doing margin trading. 
except for they po- coded it to not have that apply to FC, Alameda. Or, Alameda. Well. That's just straight up uh, fraud right there. Because they, they, they literally wrote code specifically yeah. to do this. Yeah. So, so there's gonna, that. SBF, SBF, my prediction is, I mean, people are so like bearish on the punishment that he'll face. They think he's going to get away with this all because the deep state was involved in all this stuff. Hell no. There is so much evidence. And he's got his top lieutenants who have already pled guilty. SBF is going to go to jail for life is my prediction. He's going to get a Madoff-style sentence, and he's only in his 20s. It's going to be brutal. Uh, he's going to be held out as an example. And it's so easy for the prosecutors to make this case. Uh, the best he can do is plead ignorance and innocence and all that, but I don't think it's going to fly because there's there's too many people who lost money on this where if they go easy on him, the political back, backlash will be super intense. And I read another article where basically the argument is crypto just didn't understand basic accounting. So all these people in crypto, the, the, it was actually the opposite understanding because we talked about last week how the FTX CEO, uh, mm-hmm. or not FTX, sorry, uh, Binance CEO, said the big four can't audit crypto. That was kind of his argument. Yeah. And it's actually the opposite is true. is It's created out of nothing, which essentially defies the laws of bookkeeping. And the reality is, though, there's an inflow of real money the real money is the is what gives it value. It is not the technology or the network or the freedom. The real money is the cash that came in to buy X asset. Yeah. But they are thinking, well, this has value and we created it from nothing. And it's it's funny because he also pokes a hole in their whole argument, right? What, a what's, lot of the, what's the article you're looking at? Oh, so this article is titled, Returning to Nothingness. Big Crypto Struggles with Basic Accounting. It's written by David Gerard. I, I'm on it now. Thank you. Fundamentally, like if you think about the the crypto bros, they've always argued about the big banks, saying like, "Oh, the big banks create money out of thin air, and then they create more money, and that causes inflation." And, and the reality is, it's the exact opposite because the banks they have assets and liabilities on their balance sheets. They're not just creating money out of thin air. And the reality is, the crypto people are the ones creating money out of thin air. They want to be like the Federal Reserve, which can create money out of thin air. It's called thin printing air. money. And in the digital economy, it's just adding zeros to somebody's balance sheet. But the banks have to pay for that money. Now, sometimes they don't pay very much. They pay very little, which makes it seem free, but it's not free. And the problem with crypto is that they're trying to create money out of nothing. The problem is it's very easy to to do it fraudulently. Like we did that thought experiment in a previous episode, David, where I said, I'm going to create a token and I'm going to issue a thousand of them and I'm going to sell you one for a hundred dollars. And David, because you're my friend, you're going to buy that one token for a hundred dollars. And now I get to say that all of the tokens I've got left are worth a hundred thousand yeah. dollars because David bought one of them for a hundred. And the problem as well is from an auditing perspective, if anybody has access to the key, a private key, that means whoever has access to that key can control the funds. So not one entity truly has control. Like a bank account, if I'm Nike and I have a bank account at the bank, it's my bank account and I control those funds. So right. I can audit Legally. those funds. I can yeah. get statements, et cetera. Because of this, there's just no, like, it's almost impossible to audit yeah. because they don't actually, nobody actually controls the funds. A lot of people, this is the problem of decentralized, well, right? How do you prove who controls the funds? This it's is what's impossible. crazy about like crypto is like, and the problem with blockchain without intermediaries is if you don't have any intermediaries, then you're really at risk. Imagine if your house was on the blockchain. That private key determines who owns the house. Imagine if like the physical key to your house 
determine who owned it. And anybody who ever saw it, if they kind of just has a copy of your key. They just yeah, have to or if somebody it. steals yeah. your key, now they own your house. Yeah. Right? That's the problem. You can't have this you can't have blockchain in a business world without intermediaries to protect people from having their key stolen. And I'm going to read his last paragraph because it's a little tongue in cheek, but okay. I, I really like how he states this. Hopefully, now the reader has a little bit more sympathy with the poor, confused leaders of big crypto. If any of them do sadly end up in prison, the least society could do for them is provide some basic accounting and economics courses for them, something to sure aid rehabilitation. Perhaps taking the right courses could be made a condition of parole to encourage more diligent study. <laughs> but studying just, accounting, studying accounting isn't going to help. You know, like this is not, it's not that they didn't know accounting. They just chose not to do it and they chose to commit fraud. Like <laughs> accounting, internal controls would have helped. Audits of internal controls would have helped. So what, what is your prediction again? for? So, so this is just kind of reviewing a little bit okay. going into this. And then now the mainstream is really getting on some things that we've been saying for months. I was saying months ago that the um, accounting firms are being exploited by the crypto market. They get the logo, they exploit it. And now the uh, Washington Post had an article and here's straight up. They say, Wall Street's top regulator is warning investors to be wary of how crypto firms promote the often narrow work done by accounting firms. You made a great point in that episode with Ron Baker, you said that, well, Ron Baker said that accounting firms need to sell the relationship, not the services. And you said crypto exchanges are exploiting the relationship. Accounting firms are selling the services. And I think I said this months ago that that the crypto companies are just getting a logo. They're getting a statement, a sentence from an accounting firm trying to legitimize their industry mm-hmm. based on this horrible relationship they have with accounting firms, which is barely exists. And then the last one that kind of should make you feel good, Gene Marks. So you're familiar with Gene Marks? Oh, yeah, yeah. So Gene Marks talks about who to blame. The who do we scrolling. blame? I, I have the article and I scroll up and down. And I'm not seeing the article. Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> I got an opinion you on the article? This. Well, no, I just think that obviously blame the perpetrators of the fraud, but like where was the, where was the ASCPA, you know, warning people about this stuff? Like, where were the you know accounting organizations saying, "Hey, don't rely on these proof of reserves reports because they provide no assurance," and these crypto exchanges are holding them out as doing that, but they don't. Nobody's talking about that. We could have done something. I, and I can agree with that. And and Gene Marks, his argument, he's blaming the real villains as the um, Sequoia Capital, the investors. Yeah. The, these. Because they're, they, again, I think that gets exploited, right? But his argument is these firms, when they give money to FTX like this without due diligence, they're giving a stamp of approval and there's a domino effect. So, you know, oh, well, Sequoia invested and now the Teachers Retirement Fund of Canada will invest and mm-hmm. it, it creates a domino effect. I've seen this on many times before with startups in our space. I've been in meetings and I've had somebody say, oh, they must be legit because so-and-so invested in them. Yep. That's people's due diligence is who invested in the company. Yeah. Like at this point, if you don't do your own due diligence, how can you feel sorry for somebody? Well, due diligence is hard and people don't want to do it. So relying on others is the way that you do it. Because you're afraid of missing the due diligence takes time. Yeah. Like, well, oh, the bus is going by. I'm going to miss my opportunity. That's the problem. So yeah, I, I do blame the investors. I think they they lost their own money, but they're responsible for giving FTX the money to do all that advertising that suck, sucked in all these, you know, 20 to 40 year old men who
who lost thousands of dollars. And these are just average people. These are not investors. These are, you know, that taxi driver in Las Vegas, David, who was so bullish on crypto when you went to a conference at the beginning of 2022. Yeah. And how much money did he lose? I have no did idea. He, did he lose his nest egg? Is he to starting over? Yeah. To the moon. <laughs> well, that's what he said. So, did you have a prediction around last week's show? We discussed really the number one story in our industry, which is the 150 hour rule, the lack of accountants, the, prof- the state of the profession. And then the other big story, I think, in 2022 was all this crypto mess. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I actually feel like, in general, we spoke about crypto more than we would wanted to, but it was so involved in the accounting story. Like the accounting story was a major part of the crypto collapse this year. And so I think we can now move on to what's going on in the new year. Um, And let me move and get those articles up here. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by OnPay. OnPay is built for accountants. And with 30 plus years of payroll experience, they can be the payroll partner you can always rely on to get payroll and tax filings right for any client, even those with distinct needs like restaurants, farms, and churches. When you use OnPay to manage your client's payroll, you can balance that fine line between control and delegation for each client. Regardless, if you keep 100% control, delegate payroll to somebody at your firm, or hand off payroll duties to your client, OnPay always takes care of all tax payments and filings, even the local filings. And with integrations with QuickBooks Online, Zero, and QuickBooks Desktop, you can use OnPay across your entire client base regardless of the accounting GL they are using. OnPay's partner program offers free payroll for your firm, discounts for our rev share, and a dedicated support team of in-house payroll experts who will do all the heavy lifting, from setting up your dashboard to adding your clients and their employees. They'll even enter any prior wages to make it easy to switch. To learn more about switching your clients to the award-winning OnPay Payroll and HR, and to get free payroll through January 31st of 2023 for every client you switch to OnPay, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash OnPay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-N-P-A-Y. Be more confident about payroll with OnPay. Well, and so for me, since it's an easy one, I'm going to say that AI is going to transform the accounting profession in 2023, specifically chat GPT. Just go on Twitter and look at Jason's stats and Heather Satterly demonstrating what you can do with chat GPT. It's incredible. And the way I see it transforming our profession is, uh, and especially small firms, is client communication. The biggest bottleneck in most firms is not the volume of the work itself. If you set things up and automate properly, it's not like doing reconciliations. It's not completing a tax return. Moving the numbers around can be automated. You can automate 80 to 90% of all that, what used to be hand coding kind of work. What you can't automate is the client relationship. The communication with the client is very difficult to automate and still have it be a good experience. But ChatGPT could do that. You could feed in a client email to ChatGPT and generate a response based on your history with that client and information from different systems. And it could suggest a response and you just review, edit, and send. That could save 80 to 90% of the time we spend on emails with clients. And so how do you do that practically? One of the practice management apps is going to figure out how to implement this so that it auto-writes and auto-drafts your responses to clients. Yeah. Client emails you asking about a specific, this is where you do it, client emails you asking about the latest hot TikTok tax strategy, and ChatGPT can write the response. Squash it. Can look at the tax code and say, well, in 
this specific situation, no, it's not going to work, and here's why. You don't have to go do it. I think ChatGPT could do that. So I think I have to agree with you at some level on that front, but there's also a big warning about ChatGPT. So, I, you know, I like to do for these predictions is I like to look at all these other crazy predictions you see out there. So this one is from Supply Chain 2023. And the, the, the one I highlighted was this prediction about ChatGPT. And essentially, the, the premise here is you yourself, unless you build a skill set to spot something that's fake, you're going to have your staff, you're going to have clients, you're going to have people present you information that they didn't make themselves, that they created using ChatGPT, and you're going to make a business decision based on something that is 80 90% correct based on some blog posts that it read to write this information. Yes. So, so yes, it could save you time over here on your left hand, but you better be using that time to make better decisions because you're going to have staff that cuts corners and gives you answers that they created with ChatGPT. Yeah. And you better figure out how to detect well, that when you see it. We right? need a and class. I think, <laughs> go ahead. You know, I think because like, even I go through this like for the show, we plow through 1,500 articles. And I'm, I can spot articles that are written by robots. Yeah. And you can kind of just sense it. Right, but that's a skill, and it came from reviewing thousands of bad articles, tens of thousands at this point with the podcast. But this is scary because your staff will give you a report, and you don't know if that staff member worked on the report or had a bot do it, which is really, really scary. Yeah, well, this is already happening with teachers. You can ask ChatGPT to write your essay for history class, and it does a really good job. I would say that these AI models write better blog posts than I got from most freelance writers that I have worked with in my career. Agree. Like in terms of style, in terms of flow, in terms of logic. Yeah. Like you said, there might be factual inaccuracies, but my bullshit detector can catch that. So I think you're right, David. I think that BS detection is going to be the most important skill. And I think we kind of already do that as accountants. We're, we're, you know, that's part of the job is BS detection. Uh, it should be anyway. And so if you can get really good at that, then you can analyze the output of these AI models and you can fix it. And you can uh, yeah, know if you're getting tricked. It's going to probably yeah. make like scams a lot easier to perpetuate because like, think about it. Um, one of the ways that we catch people committing fraud is we analyze the check amounts that they write to themselves. And or or let's say a business, uh, let's say a CFO is, is committing fraud and they're entering fake journal entries or something. If you run the numbers through a, a system, you can figure out which ones were human entered and not because people choose round numbers. They choose certain numbers over other numbers. But an AI isn't going to do that. An AI can generate truly what looks like real outputs based on the data set. It almost so, makes it look more real. Or, yeah. Yes, more so accurate. it's like I could tell the AI, like, please generate an invoice from this company to this company with this slightly changed name. And, you know, I bet you that, like, these AI image generation models, I wonder if anyone's tried this, could do it really well and create fake invoices and create all the, all the documents that you need to commit fraud. And these days, you know, we're not sending around the original documents. It's just like PDFs. So if you can build an AI that creates all the fake documents so you can open bank accounts and people's names and you can, you know, create the, the fake marriage license, like all this stuff that would be really hard to do manually could now be really automated. So we're going to have to have systems to detect that and prevent that. So this goes to a prediction that I found in the, uh, on Crowdfund Insider, top 10 fintech predictions. And number eight is fractured protocol 
And the prediction essentially is there's going to be two internets, maybe a kind of a public internet, mm-hmm. and then maybe more of a private internet that is has different level of national security and privacy, or maybe only corporations get to use it, certain corporations. For me, it, it makes me think about the Sage Digital Network or invoices going back and forth, right? You, you yep. create an invoice in QuickBooks, it shows up as a bill in zero, all this like network to do that. And it made me kind of think like, are we going to see a private accounting network, the internet, mm. the accounting internet? The, That's a good point. Kind of in a way, like people argue blockchain is that, but like a, a private network no, of- yeah of highways only sending invoices around that don't get touched by other ecosystems, right? That's a really good prediction because it's a solution to this problem where how do you know who's real on the internet when AI can generate emails and tweets and LinkedIn posts and all this digital stuff that seems like it was written by a real person? Like, if you meet somebody online, these days, it's kind of easy to figure out if they're a real person because usually it's somebody in a foreign country who's not an English speaker natively doing it and you can see through it. But when they're using AI to do all this stuff, how do you know? And so trusted networks will be the way. That would be the solution or one possible solution is I know that these people are real because they've been vetted and accepted into the network. I have one that's specifically for you I picked out. A prediction for me? This is the same article. This is number two. Before you get into that, uh, we've, we've been stimulating some chat here in the YouTube live stream. And I would like to remind our listeners that we go live on YouTube these days, most of the time when we record our episodes. So if you subscribe to our YouTube channel, uh, you can get notified if I correctly do the settings so that the live stream is not unlisted as it was when we started today. Uh, I'll figure that out in the future. Uh, but now we've got uh, our audience here and we got some feedback. Amir said, I think AI models are incredible, but I think adoption and implementation will take a few years at least. Another factor will be cost. These models are costly to maintain. And that's true. Uh, I think somebody said ChatGPT is costing OpenAI like $3 million a day to run. Uh, But, you know, they're basically the future of everything. So they're infinitely venture funded so they can afford to do that. But yeah, eventually they'll start charging, right? And then it's going to cost money. But even Jasper, right, which is paid. I use Jasper.ai. It's like pennies per word. I think it'll get affordable with the amount of computing power that we have, especially once those quantum computers come online. It'll be infinite. Trinity said, my 16-year-old has discovered chat GPT. I don't think it's occurred to him yet to use it for cheating at school, but dot, dot, dot. It's only a matter of time, Trinity. I, I think I saw teachers are doing pop oral quizzes now in school. Well, you know, the best classes I ever took, the professor, both in high school and in college, didn't give graded homework. Homework was assigned, but it was optional. And the only stuff that was graded would be those quizzes in class. Like in my math class, my favorite math class, we had them every day or at least four days a week. And so if you didn't do the homework, you couldn't take the quiz and the quiz was your grade and it prevented cheating because, right? You can't cheat on the in-class quiz. And same thing with uh, my college assignments. And I always thought, take-home homework is going to become a thing of the past. It just doesn't make sense. It's too easy to cheat. It's always been too easy to cheat. If you had the money, you could just pay somebody to do your homework for you, right? And it's just a waste of time for people who already know the material. Sam said, so what you're saying is we all need to become fact checkers. I think that's another way to put it. BS detectors, fact checkers. We already should anyway, right? But that's going to become a really valuable skill. Maybe they'll teach a class on that. Uh, With all the disinformation out there in the world right now, I think it's really important, right? How do you know when you read something online, like a Facebook post, how do you know that that's 
true? How do you go research it yourself? I, I think this is why disinformation is such a problem is because people don't. They don't know how to look at something and decide, is this real or is this fake or should I trust this and source Hopefully that's a service we're providing, not saying that we're perfect at it, but we're cross-vetting all these stories, right? Yeah. With each other, which I think helps. Trinity also said, David, that Zero already has an internal network for invoicing, just that a lot of users don't know it. Well, yeah, and everybody has it internally and that's easy. Yeah. Every app can do it internally. Bill Hom's got it. QuickBooks has it. Amelia's got it. Everybody's got it, but no, the crisscross outside of the network. The adoption has to be cross-platform, right? It's like yeah. the reason email is dominant is because everybody can use it. I can be on Gmail. I can be on Outlook. I can yeah. be on Yahoo. I can be on whatever. Everyone can exchange messages. But these invoicing systems are not cross-platform compatible. Yeah. So none of them gets major adoption. So I saw a remote work pr- prediction. Okay. And... And a lot of this is tied to the economics. Essentially, the ruling class, you know, the ones paying salaries and making investments are ultimately in control again because there's the economy's tight. And so what you're going to see is you're going to see remote work kind of take it on the chin and probably commercial and office real estate go up in market. That's your prediction? No, that's not my prediction. This is just one that I saw that I thought was interesting. Do you agree with it or not? Um. I kind of, I do feel like the remote work things, the pendulum's going to swing back away from that a little bit. I think I think it's going to be, people are going to be open to it as needed, but I do think that we've kind of been on a kick here for a while and it may have swung too much. I don't know. So I disagree. I think that remote work is going to continue and it's going to become more and more prevalent as the workforce shrinks year after year. Uh, because as we've, said, you can go look at the data. There are fewer and fewer college graduates every year. There's fewer high school graduates. Every generation is smaller than the one before it uh, at this point. And just because people are having fewer kids, like whether or not you like it, that's the situation, right? People are not replacing themselves anymore. And so the population is shrinking, means fewer workers and people are living longer, more old people. So over the next decades, workers are going to have a lot more power. They're going to, even with automation and AI, you still need people to like you know, press the button to turn on the robot, right? Like George Jetson in the Jetsons, like that was his job, come into the factory and turn on the production line. And so I think that it's gonna get more and it's gonna get better because managers are gonna, well, I don't know if they get their heads out of the sand, they're gonna see that actually remote work and flexible schedules improve productivity. And I saw this stat in a story on Bloomberg called want a four day work week, show this research to your boss. Revenue rose 8% at companies in the study with positive impacts on productivity, employee well-being, and carbon emissions. The first large-scale study of a four-day workweek has come to a startling close. Not one of the 33 participating companies is returning to a standard five-day schedule. Data released Tuesday show the organizations involved registered gains in revenue and employee productivity, as well as drops in absenteeism and turnover, Workers on a four-day schedule also were more inclined to work from the office than home. And, and that might be the evolution of this. It's more of a f- in-person four-day work week, so you're not you're getting that that flexible schedule you kind of want of those three-day weekends. But you're uh, and because you think about this, like if employees can use Chat GPT and create fake work outputs and just up, like, there's going to be a level where people are not going to trust the work they're getting, and the only way they're going to trust it is by seeing people face to face. Like the relationship piece of this is going to be yeah, important. I, I, and it's kind of. 
I mean, I, I, I get it. I like yeah. seeing people in person. I mean, for me, I run a company that's completely remote because I couldn't yeah. afford to bootstrap it if, if it wasn't. And we have people in Pakistan and the Philippines and Ohio and Arizona. Like, so I've chosen to do that. I think more and more companies will do that because hiring U.S. people to do all this stuff is very, very expensive. It's going to get more expensive. Yeah. I don't know. That's my theory. But I also agree that if you shorten the work week, you can get people to come into the office because you give them the flexibility of that long three-day weekend. So it's yeah. a trade-off, right? People will be more willing to come in. Come in. Yeah. Or make me make that, you know, it's a, you have the option to work remotely on that day or take it off. Yeah, you make it a little bit more optional on that. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by LiveFlow. Think about this. If you have approximately 60 clients and create five reports a month for each of them, that's over 3,500 reports a year. And let's say you're really fast and only takes you one minute per report. That's almost 2.5 days a year you spend creating reports. Here are a few of the ways LiveFlow saves time for so many accountants and bookkeepers. Once you create the perfect suite of reports for a client, you can just copy the Google Sheet, use LiveFlow to connect it to a different client's QuickBooks Online company, and you're all done. The new reports will pull in the data for the second client automatically. You can easily drill down on the details of each number on a LiveFlow report, including drilling down to the transaction level to navigate directly to the transaction inside of QuickBooks Online. No more opening QuickBooks Online to search for specific transactions. LiveFlow and Google Sheets are in the cloud, so you don't have to waste time emailing files between your team and your clients. And you can give your clients access to a suite of reports that they can access anytime, eliminating one-off requests for you and your staff. To learn more about using LiveFlow and how you can save 20% off your first three months, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash LiveFlow. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash L-I-V-E-F-L-O-W. Stop manually updating your spreadsheets with LiveFlow. So, so can I just get you a little more data from the study? Because I think it's- Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, there were 33 organizations and not a single one is going back. They all decided that the four-day work week is better. So this was businesses and organizations in the US, Ireland, and Australia tracking 969 employees over a 10-month period as they reduced their work weeks by an average of six hours with no change in pay. It varied from a restaurant chain in the Southwest US to an Ohio-based custom RV builder to a climate nonprofit in Dublin. So this is a variety of different types of businesses, not just businesses where people work in front of computers. Dozens of indicators ranging from productivity to well-being to fatigue all improved as the companies transitioned. The findings come at a time when businesses and their employees are struggling to recover, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so here's the hard numbers for our accountant friends listening. Revenue rose 8% during the trial, 8% up, and was up 38% from a year earlier, indicating healthy growth through the transition. Though multi-company measures of productivity are difficult, the organizations rated the impact of four-day schedules as positive, averaging a 7.7 on a 10-point scale. Like I said, employee absenteeism dropped, resignations marginally dropped, new hires increased slightly. Companies rated the overall experience a 9 out of 10. Maybe this is the accounting industry. That the, the, that, that's the marketing effort for the ACPA. You come out, you get all the big firms involved. You say, in the accounting industry, you only have to work four days a week, and that's how we get more accountants. <laughs> Can you imagine that's, that? That's the marketing. And this is in a profession where I think staff work an average of 2,200 hours a year, and partners actually work more than staff. They work an average of like 2,400 hours a year. And you do the math on that. If you take you know, 2,400 hours... And I'm not going to do it without a calculator because I've gotten in trouble before, David. So if you take 2,400 hours and you divide that by 52, 
that's 46 hours a week. So that's if you didn't take any vacations. You're working 46 hours a week. That's for partners. So, you know, if you take like four weeks of vacation, which I really think you ought to be able to do that as a partner. I mean, you know, why would you? That's 50 hour weeks. You know, why would I want to be a partner if I have to work 50 hour weeks? Yeah, I mean, sure, I make the money, but like when you actually do the math, I'd rather be a owner of a business who works 20 hours a week or less and, you know, make a little less money. I think that's, but maybe that's just my generation. I don't know. So yeah, this whole four hour work week, it totally doesn't fit with like the way the accounting profession is set up where it's like working more than 40 hours a week. You can get more out of your employees if they work 34 hours a week. Yeah, the less hours. Less hours. People are more productive in fewer hours. And I think actually in a lot of firms, people aren't really working all that time. They're just looking busy. They're just sitting in their chairs pretending to be busy or making busy work. And, and it probably also forces an organization to be more efficient. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you cut a meeting out a week, two meetings a week, right? If you, if you have that type of a, a cadence, you're like, okay, we're going to meet every other week since we're only doing four-day work weeks. So we're not wasting a day of the week on meetings. Yeah, it's probably get a lot more efficient. We got some predictions from our live stream viewers. Christopher says, in 2023, accountants will assume commercial real estate as a service and host self-employed clients. I think that's a great idea, uh, Christopher. I have fantasized actually about opening an accounting firm that's also a cafe. And people could come in and, and work. They could be members, like a WeWork. And they'd also get accounting and tax services as part of their membership. I think it'd be great Karen for the freelancers. Woodman, Karen Woodman, and I think she's in Minnesota, twenty-four hour bookkeeper. They do uh, construction niche type stuff. They I think they she opened a co-working space herself. It's brilliant, so be the right? First time. And then and then you got all these clients coming in, future prospective clients. They come in and they see, oh, you do tax, you do accounting, genius. It's actually a really good idea, and I can look at like Acuity, Kenji, and and Matt. They opened their firm in the Atlanta Tech Village, which only allowed SaaS-based startups in that thing. They were the only non-tech company in that building. And obviously, all these companies, these startups would start and you'd get them as clients. So, Brilliant. yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You could create your own funnel, yep. right? Um, instead of doing a one-off webinar on QuickBooks here and there or an in-person meetup group, you just have the business owners there all the time. And you'll just be by. You could even figure in the accounting as part of their rental plan. Right. That's part of the fee. You get your taxes done as part of your membership if you stay a member. a lot of those places will let you like set up a, a mailbox, right? Physical yeah. mailing, those types of things. You're just, you're just adding on it's great. Uh, bookkeeping and tax. It's actually a really great idea. We should open it, David. We should do it. Um, we'll just pipe in the Cloud Accounting Podcast as the music. The music. Trinity said there are several school districts in Texas going to a four-day work week. I have heard about that as a cost-cutting measure, you know, and it's a way to retain the teachers because if you don't want to pay more or if you can't pay more, you can attract them with the reduced schedule. And and I think you could actually learn just as much in four days as you do in five if the, you know, a lot of time in school is wasted. I I don't know about you, David, but I was not a, I was not really into school as a kid. I actually begged my parents to homeschool me so I could just do whatever I wanted. Like, I felt like I was wasting my time sitting in class. This probably doesn't surprise anybody <laughs> based on what I say on these shows. But yeah, it was like so much of that time is wasted. It's sort of like sitting in an office for five hours or five hours for five days a week. Uh, a lot of that time is just kind of downtime. So one thing that I've seen a lot of predictions on is these neobanks and banking as a service. After the FTX debacle and other issues, because a lot of these banks are like a teeny little 
bank in the Midwest offers up their charter for tech companies. And now that you've had some of these debacles happen, banks are going to be open to do this. So if you already have an existing relationship as a, as a tech company with a bank, you're probably going to be okay. But if you have a new a new startup, a new tech startup, and your plan was like, oh, we're going to get a bank charter and build blah, 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 it ain't happening. Like, so you're seeing that. And then on top of that, there's going to be massive of these neobanks. A lot of them are going to be going under because they yeah. got into the credit game. And the, in many cases, they were in the credit game with very risky lending relationships. Mm-hmm. And consumer credit now is back up to uh, almost all-time highs again. And so you're going to see this pop. And so I'm seeing a lot a lot of predictions in general about neobanks going under. And actually, I think there was an article a listener sent us about Revolut. So Revolut is uh, – I always forget it. In the UK, it's HM – Her Majesty's Royal – IRS. It's revenue. <laughs> it's, it's whatever revenue that is. commission or something like that. Yeah. It's, it's the IRS. The Queen's right? IRS. Yeah. Queen's IRS. And they were supposed to report some numbers and they got an extension and now they're not going to be able to report the numbers again. And so here's a oh, here's yeah. one of these neobanks that has taken tons of money and they're not able to issue their numbers of their, their earnings and their balance sheet. And so they're the biggest one. So what's going to happen to these smaller ones, right? So I think there's just – that's a theme I've seen a lot is – and I think I have to agree. I think for me, one of the predictions is a lot of these neobanks are probably going to be in trouble. Mm-hmm. And then the other half of I think for me from a prediction standpoint is I think there's going to be a lot of apps being purchased by private equity. Twitter is the model. I think it happened to Coupa. Come in. You buy it. Get rid of two-thirds of the fat that are happening at these companies. And just run the companies efficiently and profitable. No more, like you said, the guys whose only job was to order the sweat, the hoodies. Right? <laughs> all, all of that's going to be cut out of these these companies. So you're going to see. Hopefully, it'll keep a lot of SaaS startups and tools we all use from going under. But if if private equity doesn't come in and 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 cut the fat in these companies, yeah, they might not exist. Yeah, that's kind of my my impression is we're going to see a lot of private equity come in buying apps. David, I know you have to go. At a certain point, uh, pretty soon. I have listener mail. Do we want to do that? And we have a review as well, so we could do that. Okay. So I'll get through Wrap some. Up the year on a good note. So we got a lot of listener mail over the last couple of weeks, and we didn't have time to get to it with our interview with Ron Baker, and then our my soapboxing on the last episode, and then <laughs> our predictions in this episode. So if we don't get to your message, just know uh, we will uh, attempt to read it uh, in a future episode. Here's one. Martin said... In response to uh, our crypto, uh, one of our crypto episodes, he said, quote, well, it's a little confusing because he's quoting me and then responding to it. Uh, So Martin says, you said, quote, allow their clients to spin agreed upon procedures engagements as full audits to depositors, unquote. I agree. However, I once worked on an audit that had so many moving parts, we decided we were trying to audit smoke. I am glad Deloitte feels they have enough of a smoke shifter to offer an opinion on Coinbase, but crypto accounting standards are way too young and mostly non-existent. Audit opinions state that financial information is presented according to a set of standards. In the case of crypto, I would have to ask, what standards? The FASB is working on it, but we are not there yet. So what is left but testing transactions and balances and presenting the results of those tests? As Prager Medicine Armanino discovered, the risk of offering an opinion is too high in this space until the smoke clears. Um, well, I think what Prager Medicine Armanino discovered, Martin, is that they they were getting used. And I think the, the partners did not realize 
that they were getting used by the crypto exchanges, as you pointed out, David, I think we should just stop doing these agreed upon procedures, uh, engagements. It should not be allowed to do that kind of stuff because it doesn't provide any assurance, but the public doesn't understand that. So you shouldn't be allowed to like give those out. It shouldn't be allowed to be published. But I also think like, you know, saying that we can't do anything until the guidance is published is kind of like, I don't know, that's, that's sort of passing the buck. We're accountants. We should be able to figure this stuff out. We shouldn't have to wait for some regulatory board to tell us exactly what to do with a 600-page document, you know, laying out exactly. I mean, in like, theory. courageous, you know. Defining fraud. Like. That's our job. It should be it a should skill be, set. should be our your, job. Has, Josh, yes. Anyway. But again, that's just what the public thinks yeah. your job is. So thank you, Martin. I understand like the concern there, but I think I guess my response is that yes, FASB hasn't done its job, but we shouldn't let the lack of the regulators like I mean, FASB hasn't done anything for decades. They've useless as far as I'm concerned when it comes to accounting standards. So we have to step up and do it ourselves. Yeah. As a profession. Let's see. You wanna read that review, David? Yeah. So we did get a review. This will be the final review we got of twenty twenty two. This was uh, from his, his screen name here is Andrew is Taken, which I think is a pretty funny creative screen name. Uh, this is a five-star review on Apple Podcast, a must-listen for accountants. I absolutely love listening to the Cloud Accounting Podcast, hosted by Blake and David. They have a great dynamic, and their insights and tips on cloud accounting are always helpful and informative. I highly recommend giving this podcast a listen if you're interested in learning more about this topic. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. That's really nice. I really appreciate that. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Patriot. Patriot software creates accounting and payroll software that radically simplifies the day-to-day complexities that American businesses and their accountants face. Patriot is seamlessly integrated under one login, easy to use, and affordable. And they make number one for ease of use, customer support features, and value for the money by users. Patriot's accounting software is a cloud-based, full-featured accounting general ledger that gives your clients the simplicity they need, but the power you require. Patriot has a patented dual ledger accounting, so you can quickly switch between cash basis, modified cash basis, or accrual accounting, and a chart of accounts that can have unlimited sub-accounts and nest up to eight accounts deep. Patriot's payroll software lets you run payroll in three easy steps, offers free two-day direct deposit, and their full-service payroll offers a tax filing guarantee. Accounting professionals can partner with Patriot and receive discounted pricing that increases as you add more clients, support located in the USA, free co-branding, and free accounting and payroll for your firm. To join thousands of accounting professionals who trust Patriot with their clients' accounting and payroll and to get a 30-day free trial, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Patriot. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash P-A-T-R-I-O-T. Now, now, is that – I think somebody on Twitter joked that they were going to use chat GPT to write a review. I don't know if that's the one that came in or not. Yeah, and if you don't know what to write, chat GPT writes really nice reviews of the Cloud Accounting <laughs> Podcast. It's something it's really good at doing. So uh, the next time you have to write a product review for a, an app or you have to write a uh, review for a business, just use chat GPT to do it. Ken wrote in and said, Hey, Blake, I was listening to your On the Money Mondays episode number two distributed by Relay. You said something that gave me pause. Essentially, the reason small business owners need to keep good books is to prepare the handoff for tax prep. I'm a certified profit-first professional, so I go around trashing the shortcomings with Gap and accounting for micro-business owners anyway. But this was too easy. I'm ready to use the segment as a straw man for my own marketing. Quote, 
even this high visibility CPA recognizes the gap isn't running your business, isn't for running your business. It's just for tax prep. Therefore, you, Mr. Prospect, need me and my methodology to manage your cash effectively day to day, unquote, or some such. I believe it, but I wanted your opinion before I consider throwing you under the bus. It would be great to have a quick conversation with you about this. And I said to Ken, I wouldn't say you're throwing me under the bus, Ken. I agree. Gap is useless for most small businesses. It is a total waste of time and resources to try to do gap accounting. And often for most of these businesses, even accrual accounting is a waste of time. I tried doing it. They didn't understand it. I spent most of my meetings with them trying to explain cash to accrual and the statement of cash flows. And it took me years to realize I was just wasting my time and that the theory that I had learned was applicable to large businesses and not small ones. And actually, you know, then we go in, I, I go into how Gap is like kind of useless for a lot of businesses these days because it hasn't changed, yeah. right? FASB hasn't updated standards for intangible assets and all that. Uh, but I do stick by my statement that most small businesses just need their bookkeeping done to get a tax return. That's not all, but the vast majority, that's all they need. And if you can design a service around getting that done, you can very efficiently, effectively serve that market. You can build a subscription around it. If you want to hear about people who are doing that, go to my Earmark podcast, podcast.earmarkcpe.com. There's recent episodes with Michael Alleman, and we've got two more with firm owners who have done exactly that, very streamlined. And these are all the people that are in your community, the small businesses between, say, 100000 and 500000 a year in revenue, the ones who need help but aren't getting served by traditional firms because they're too small. There's a huge opportunity to serve them. Those are the folks that QuickBooks Live is targeting. But we can do it way better than QuickBooks Live. And we can make yeah. good money doing it. But it, it takes a whole different way of approaching how you do accounting. And well, especially finances. if you offer a co-working space and you're, you basically become the internal controller for lots of small businesses that are all your clients yep. utilizing your, your office space. So David, I want to be uh, respectful of your time. We got, we got time for more listener mail or? We could probably do one more quick listener mail as long as you don't pontificate on it as much. <laughs> <laughs> all <laughs> right, here we go. Feedback. Bernard said, hey, Blake, listened to the Ron Baker episode this morning. You guys hit some real issues with our profession and the AICPA. It's not only big four firms having an independence problem with how audit fees are paid, and consequently, one-third of audits are failing, but the AICPA is really an organization that is catering to its high, pay, highest paying customers. The top 100 accounting firms and smaller firms are seeing no reason to belong to the AICPA, and the smaller firms are the majority of the membership. Our firm is a mid-sized firm, 30 full-time equivalents, of which 40, 14 are CPAs. We have been frustrated for years on the lack of brand building that the AICPA does not do for the CPA brand. We do no audit work and very little assurance type services, so the requirement of an audit to be performed by a CPA is irrelevant to us. We need the marketing to highlight the CPA as probably the best qualified financial and tax advisor that can be offered to the public. So many ways that the CPA brand could be marketed. We have been outgunned by the CFP designation. We are all hoping the AICPA will get more young and diverse leadership and get the organization serving its members in a more equitable way. We have been Ron Baker followers for 10 years now and destroyed our timesheets nine years ago. We are a fixed-price, value-billing firm and looking closely at the subscription model. I've already read Ron's book, and it certainly lays the foundation and the logic for the subscription model. If we were starting our firm today or a smaller CPA firm, there would only be one way to go, and that would be subscription. 
For legacy firms our size and larger, it is a little more difficult to switch only because we would just have to change everyone to subscription and basically start a new company. We will continue to investigate full subscription billing and hopefully figure out the way to change in the near future. I really like your podcast and try to catch every episode. Keep making, keep marketing Ron's book. And by the way, your forward that you wrote for his book was great. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, amazing. Bernard. That is amazing to hear. And that's a good wrap up. Happy yeah. New Year. Happy yeah, New we'll Year, everyone. Um, so thanks everyone who joined us on the live stream. Subscribe to our YouTube channel to get notified when we go live. You can chat with us. You can tell us what you think. You can tell us if we're wrong. I love hearing from people who disagree with me. Chris, Happy New Year. Thank you for joining us. That's all I got, David. That's it. All right. Have Enjoy a- it in 2023, everyone. See you then. Bye. Bye. Time for the classifieds. Is your New Year's resolution to get your firm better organized? The average firm spends more than 30% of its time sending repetitive tasks to clients for information to complete their work. When you don't have what you need, your workflow is blocked and your team is frustrated. Eliminate this frustration with Client Hub. Client Hub is a modern workflow platform with deep roots in the accounting profession. Unlike traditional platforms, Client Hub is built for both your team and your clients. Get faster client responses, build better client relationships, and become a more productive firm. To schedule your demo, go to clienthub.app. That's clienthub.app. I don't care where you live in the United States. If you're a CPA, you have to take ethics continuing education. And I don't care who you are and where you live. You hate taking ethics continuing education. That's why me, Greg Kite, and my buddy, Adam Browd, we created a podcast called Drunk Ethics, where we unfold and uh, expose all of the inner secrets of not just ethics, but how to become more ethical and to promote ethical behavior at your workplace. And we do that while we are getting progressively more faced during the course of each episode. In each episode, we take seven shots every seven minutes. And so at the beginning, we are scholarly. And by the end, we are drunk yet still scholarly. If you're interested in this podcast, which I know you are, anyone can listen to the podcast for free. It's out there. You can find it. But if you want CPE credit for it, NASBA certified CPE credit, it is a premium course on Earmark. So if you're already a subscriber to Earmark, it's going to be more than that. But listen, it's worth it because of two reasons. First off, you know your company. You know your firm's going to pay for it and not you. And second of all, it's worth it, damn it. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.